Good morning, Treasure in Christ Church. It snowed. I hope it was a lot of fun for you and still is. I hope uh, you've been able to enjoy its beauty. And I also hope that you've been able to find some rest for your body. Um, but as we've been talking about, I pray that you've also been able to find some rest with Jesus. And I'm just so thankful for this emphasis over this past month, several weeks, and just our need to be still in God's Word and in prayer. I'm so thankful for Pastor Travis last week, uh, walking through Romans chapter 8 with us and emphasizing prayer. And I just pray that uh, you really do um, make it a priority to be still with Jesus in His Word and in prayer and enjoy all the benefits of finding just a restful soul in Him. Today, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. So I invite you to turn there with me, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. And if you also want to, you can put a finger in Hebrews chapter 2 or just jot it down. We'll be going there a little bit later. But I will read the passage, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22, and then I'll pray. And we'll dive right in as we consider this idea of what it means that we gather to treasure Christ together. Let's look at the word together. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, I ask that in this moment you would move in our midst, you would take your word, and that you would brand it deep within our hearts. It would light our path, it would grant us understanding, but most importantly, it would open our eyes that we might see Jesus. And as we behold him, we ask that you would make us more like him. We know that we become like what we behold. And so we long to see Jesus in his word. We want to taste and see that he is good. We don't want just religious motions. We don't want to just attend an event in this moment. We we believe that we will be meeting with you. And we ask that you would move in power in our hearts, that you would awaken sleepy eyes and you would awaken sleepy hearts and you would ignite us with a passion and a fervor and an excitement and an anticipation that you're going to move through your word in our midst now. And so God, please help us to understand your word. And I pray that it would fill our hearts with a treasuring more of Jesus Christ. Thank you for this moment. Open our eyes to see him in Jesus name. Amen. I do believe that we are better together and that togetherness is essential for being the church. As a family, we went outside and we played in the snow. And one of the greatest things to do in the snow is to pack snow tightly and start pegging each other with snowballs. And so we did that some. We went over to a hill and we also uh, went down with some neighbors on a hill and went sleigh riding or sledding as the better way to say it, I guess. And we also picked up snowballs and we would just peg each other with them. And it was a lot of fun. And there's one thing that's essential 
besides snow, one thing that's essential about a snowball fight. What that is, is it requires more than one person. I cannot have a snowball fight with myself. That's just weird. It just doesn't work. A snowball fight assumes that there are two or more people. There's other examples of the necessity of more than one person in life. Today, there's a reason that wars are not fought alone. No one, first of all, is strong enough to win a war on their own. Not even Captain America could win a war. He needed the Avengers. Just watch Endgame. But wars also are not fought, they're not only not fought alone because people get injured. There's an infirmary, and this infirmary is filled with a team of nurses and doctors that help provide treatment and assess wounds and um, perform surgeries. And the vast majority of situations, the wounded cannot care for themselves. They need someone else. They need others to provide this path of healing or to save their life. But the infirmary is not the point of the war. The mission is the point. And when you are in those trenches fighting a battle with bullets blowing by your head and blitzing past your, your periphery and your friends next to you, you work in the trenches, you protect one another, you look out for one another, you help others advance, you do your part and you work together to accomplish the mission, to win the battle. That mission must be done together. If we're fighting against each other, we'll most certainly lose. The mission is too intense to have times of comparison or times of asking about each other's uniforms or, hey, what's your title? What's my... No, you just, you're in a mission. You're protecting, you're fighting, you're working together. Wars are not fought alone. That's not how it works. Togetherness is essential. NFL playoff games are happening uh, this weekend. And what if 11 players on defense run out to take the field, but on offense, just one player runs out? That player thinks he is going to be able to win the game by himself. What would happen? How would that go? I don't care how good of a football player you are, you would lose. <laughs> and you'd probably get really hurt in the process. Togetherness is essential in football. Togetherness is essential for a snowball fight. It's, again, it's essential for war. It's essential for NFL football. Togetherness is essential for the church. In one sense, the word church demands togetherness. The word church is a congregation. That means a gathering of Christians implying interacting membership. That's what the ESV Study Bible says and other dictionaries uh, that I've looked up this word. It's, it implies interaction. It's an assembly of people with a clearly defined membership. If church means, by definition, an assembly, a gathering of God's people, then the church means togetherness. So when I say togetherness is essential for the church, it's redundant. It's saying togetherness is essential in the together people. Of course, togetherness is essential. It's essential because it's what being a church means, that we gather and we come together. That's what it meant hundreds of years before the New Testament. That's what it meant in the New Testament, and that's what it means for us today. The church is a gathering people. It's not just an unaffiliated group of people. It's a together people.
So when we say as a church, we exist to be and make disciples who treasure Christ, love the church, love the city, and love the world. The inescapable reality is this, is that in order for us to grow in peace and in love and in joy, we need each other. To be and to make disciples, togetherness must be the means. There must be a togetherness about it in order for us to grow into the likeness of Jesus. I'm reading a book right now by Dane Ortland entitled Deeper. And it's about how we grow and blossom into the people God tells us he's already purchased for us to be. It's a wonderful book. I've enjoyed it so far. And he's just asking, how do we live in the victory that's already ours in Christ? And when he describes our need for change, he talks about kind of the different ways that people think about change. Some people, when you think about change, you think about outward behavior. If I'm going to change, I'm going to have a better outward behavior. I'm going to obey certain rules. Others believe when you think about change, you think, well, I'm going to grow in knowledge. I'm going to add understanding of God's doctrine and his word to my mind. Others think of change happening through experience, that you're going to experience the depth and intimacy of God through prayer and his word. And there's all of these are essential for us growing in likeness to Jesus. But here's what Dane Ortland said in a quote, and I thought it was so helpful. He says, growing in Christ is not centrally improving or adding or experiencing, but growing in likeness to Christ is deepening. Implicit, he says, in the notion of deepening is that you already have what you need. Christian growth is bringing what you do and say and even feel into line with what, in fact, you already are. End quote. What does he mean? You already have Jesus inside of you. He is made you a new creation, and he is making you into a new creation. And so the invitation to grow is not just an obedience to some outward standard. It's not just growing in knowledge. It's not just having some outward experience. But growing in likeness to Jesus is the deepening of living in the presence of God, living in the reality that God lives inside of you, and he is at work to change you. It's deepening what you already have. And part of this you already have Jesus inside of you. Part of this, you already have a new creation. But another thing that God has already given us that is essential for us to grow into likeness to Jesus is the church. A gathering of believers where the living God comes and dwells among us and changes us as we walk this journey of faith together. I remember in our old building, 554 East Hargett Street, as we would walk into that main room where we would worship, there was a a wooden um, board, a plaque up above the door that was hand-painted, and these words were painted on it, gathering to treasure Christ together. And then there was another plaque as you walked outward to go outside, and it said, scattering to live sent. These are crucial phrases in the life of a Christian and in the life of treasuring Christ church. We gather to treasure Christ together, and then we scatter to live sent. And so today, as we continue in a series on 
our vision, which includes this resting in Jesus through the word and in prayer. It's where we have been. Today, we're going to be looking at what it means to gather to treasure Christ together. And then over the next two weeks in the future, we will also begin dwelling on what it means to scatter to live sent, to love this city, to love the world. What does it mean to live sent? But today, our main aim is that we gather to treasure Christ together. And because we do that because the church is a together people. That's what I've been trying to emphasize, to be a part of the church. Essential as a part of the church is that we need each other. We need to be together. But the second idea is not only that we gather to treasure Christ together because the church is a together people, but the second idea is when we are together, and hear this, we uniquely experience the power, presence, love, and grace of Jesus in a way that we don't when we don't gather. Jesus is with us when we gather, so let's gather together to treasure Christ. I want to put this idea forward for us. To treasure Christ fullest, we must treasure him together. We gather Sunday after Sunday to treasure Christ together because he is uniquely there with us as we gather together in a way that he's not simply when we are just alone. There is a uniqueness, a power in our togetherness because when we gather together, we gather to treasure Jesus, to lift him up. I've used this illustration before, but it's one worth repeating, and it is that Jesus is the diamond of a diamond ring. He is the one that is to be held up, to be looked at. To, he is the one that in which there is the, the beauty and the value and the prongs that hold up the beautiful diamond of Jesus. They are essential to lift him up. What are the prongs in the church? Well, we craft sermons, we sing songs, we work on harmonies, we play instruments, we care for and teach our children, we build relationships, we have relationship building and events for youth and college students, we develop a counseling ministry, we serve on Sundays, we serve our community, we host community groups, we take encouragement trips to our international workers overseas. All these are wonderful things, but they are simply prongs to hold up the diamond ring who is Christ. Christ is the diamond. He is the one that all these things point to. Those things are not the point. The point is that they exist to hold up, hold up and show off the beauty of Jesus. If that's not their ultimate aim, then we have missed the point. Jesus satisfies every longing. He is the beauty every human heart craves. He is why we gather. But today, as we talk, when we talk about gathering, we must be really clear. We don't just gather to learn facts about Jesus. We gather to meet with Jesus, to commune with him. The gathering is precious because we are not only gathering with each other, but as we are gathering together, we are gathering with a person, with Jesus Christ. And that without the regular gathering of God's people, we are missing out on a depth, a depth of experience, a uniqueness of the presence of power of the love of God in our life. And so 
we need to understand the necessity of our togetherness. Here's a quote from John Bloom with Desiring God Ministries. He said this, There is an enjoyment of God, a, quote, taste of the heavenly gift, says Hebrews 6, 4, and 5. There's a sharing in the Holy Spirit, says 1 Corinthians 14, 26. There's a tasting of the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, says Colossians 3, 15 through 16, that cannot be experienced apart from the corporate gathering of Jesus's church. You follow that. There's an enjoyment of God that cannot be experienced apart from the corporate gathering of Jesus's church. The quote continues, and there's a manifestation of Jesus's presence that only occurs when this happens. There is no replacement of this. He says, yes, the Bible does instruct us to worship and pray privately, but that will never be the fullest, deepest, most joyful experience of God for us. That is reserved for Christ's united body, his bride. That's the most profound reason we are not to neglect meeting together, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. For when it comes to seeing and savoring Jesus to the fullest, it is not good that man should be alone. The emphasis here is that we are to gather together. And as we gather together, there is a uniqueness to the enjoyment of God that we will not have at its fullest if we neglect meeting together. You might say, is that an overstatement? Is that really true? Well, I just mentioned three verses there, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, 1 Corinthians 14, 26, Colossians 3, 15 through 16. Is it really true that there's a unique experience of the enjoyment of Jesus that only happens when we gather together? I think it is. Let's think about these things. Romans 1, 16 says that, that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So every week we are going to take the, the word of God and we are going to proclaim the gospel of God among the people of God. And so God is telling us that when we do that, the gospel is powerful because he is working through the gospel, through his word, to change his people. But you might say, but I can proclaim the gospel myself. I can proclaim it to my neighbors. Then he's uniquely powerful there. And I say yes and amen. But here's a, an amazing verse, mind-boggling verse, Hebrews chapter 2. Right after Jesus is called the exact imprint of the image of God, the radiance of his glory, Jesus is better than the angels. We read this in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. It says this about Jesus. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters, to call us family. Saying, here's a quote, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Just let that sit on you. When we sing, 
when we congregate, that is when we gather, that Jesus is in the midst of our gathered people. When we congregate, he is in our midst as the lead worship leader every time we sing together. The lead worship leader is not JD or me or Ranjur and Annie or anybody else that helps lead on a Sunday morning. The main worship leader, Sunday after Sunday, as we worship through song, is Jesus. He's right there with us, according to Hebrews chapter 2. Matthew 18, 5, for those of you who serve our precious children, and love on them as they're running in the halls or care for them while they're playing in the gym. Here's what Jesus says, Matthew 18, 5. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. When we serve children, Jesus is there. We're actually serving Jesus. Jesus tells us when we care for kids, we're serving him. So as we are pouring into the next generation, Jesus is saying there's a mysterious supernatural thing going on that when we serve them, we're actually serving him, loving on him. Later in the same chapter, Jesus tells us that as we gather, there he is in our midst. It's especially in the context of when the church is seeking to preserve its purity, trying to walk alongside people who are running headlong into sin and you're pleading with them to turn and one goes and two goes. And in the midst of church discipline, he says, when two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. When we, two or three, are gathered in his name, there he is in our midst. It doesn't mean that he's not with us when we open his word. He dwells within our hearts. But there is a uniqueness when we gather together that he is there with us. Matthew 25. Matthew 25 says that when he's telling a story when people have fed the hungry and clothed the naked and visited those in prison. He says that when you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you have done it to me. You get that. As we care for our poor brothers and sisters, we are actually caring for and serving him. He is there in our midst. And then Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 is the passage I read at the very beginning. Let's look at it again together. He says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So when God changes our hearts, he makes us one new man, takes Jews and Gentiles, that's the context, and he makes us one new people, a brand new thing. It's called the church. You're no longer strangers and aliens. You no longer have the, the in-group of believers over here by one ethnicity and a group of over here. by No, we're all one people, fellow citizens, members of the same household. And he says there's something unique about this new people. It's, it's built on a foundation of the teaching of the apostles and the prophets, and Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone. Paul will say in 1 Corinthians that he is our foundation. So the image is that we're a whole structure. We're being built up on the foundation who is Jesus, and we're being joined together. There's our together word. The church is a together people. The church is an interdependent people, an assembly that 
that gathers together, that needs each other, and we're being joined together. And I want you to look at these next few words. And we grow together into a holy temple in the Lord. In Jesus, in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We're one building, one people, interdependent, connected, and God is uniquely building us as his dwelling place. We are God's temple, not just us as individuals, but there's a uniqueness to the church that we are God's temple. What does that mean? Well, let's zip back to when Moses tells us about the tabernacle, the predecessor to the temple, Exodus chapter 40, verses 34 through 35. It says this, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. And listen about the temple, the tabernacle. It says, And then the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter that tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And as my pastor friend Jordan Thomas said, he's pastor at Grace Church Memphis, a TCT church out there. He said, the glory chamber of God was the temple. And now what's Ephesians 2 telling us? We are that glory chamber. We are the place where the glory of God rests and resides. Not just individually, but it says that when we come together as God's one people, he is there in our midst and his glory resides among us. This is remarkable. It is remarkable. He is not only in us as an individual people, but he is uniquely in and among us as a corporate people. We are his temple. And friends, COVID has hurt us in some significant ways. But I'm concerned that sometimes some of the greatest hurt is not physical, but spiritual. Because the word of God is important, because singing is important because the Lord's Supper is important. We got creative and we did virtual services, but we need each other. And just as serious as we are about the virus, we also need to be serious about the importance of gathering together. We cannot act as if there aren't spiritual consequences for neglecting the gathering together. I know it's difficult. I know it's, there's not an easy answer. But I just want to lift up that there's a uniqueness to the gathering of God's people. That when we gather, Jesus is there with us. And we taste and see him in precious ways that can only happen as we are together. Whether it be in corporate worship or community group, we need each other. And as we have time together, we need Jesus there. I told you before, the beginning of a previous sermon that there are so many times that when I wake up, there's a lethargy, there's a, a laziness, there's a fatigue, there's a loving other things more than gathering with the church, there's a, a depression, whatever it is, there's just a struggle to want to go to church at times. I get it. But I can tell you that almost every time that I have gathered with God's people, something has happened inside of me. I have left with a lightness of heart and mood and, and a sense of 
God was with us and an enjoyment of the people of God. I just want to remind us all, Jesus is with us when we gather. He's with us when we gather. Wherever we are wounded, wherever we are hurting, that's the beauty of being together. God meets us there. And sometimes he meets us and he's seeking to heal our wounds, not simply by ourselves with the word, but when we're together with the word, when we're together in prayer, when we're together serving one another, when we're together sharing stories, when we're together having small talk, when we're just together being together. You might ask, I don't always experience that when I'm at church. Why don't, why don't I see him? Why don't I experience him? Well, sometimes, honestly, that's partially why I'm preaching this sermon. It's like I needed personally to be reminded that when we are together, something supernatural is happening. There is something happening that I cannot see with my physical eyes that I need God to open the eyes of my spiritual heart for to see that he is there with us. Sometimes I just need God to open the spiritual eyes of my heart so that I might believe that he's uniquely there with us. Sometimes it's just a lack of knowledge. I didn't know that he was with us being our primary worship leader, or that when we cared for the poor brothers and sisters, he was uniquely there with us. Sometimes it's a forgetfulness. Whatever it is, I think Jesus would want us to know there is a way that we can see without fully seeing. And we need Jesus to open our eyes. What do I mean? Well, I'm reading through the New Testament this year, and we're in the book of Mark, and Mark chapter 8 is one of my favorite stories. And as you look at Mark chapter 8, he says there that they came to Bethsaida. And here's what's interesting. I've been paying attention to the, the geographic locations as I've been reading through Mark because there's so many times that Jesus is traveling in a boat and uh, over the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee was 8 miles across and 13 miles north to south. And so it took some time for him to cross this body of water. It's not just bouncing from one story to another story. He had time to meditate and to think and to be by himself or just to have small talk or laughter or to fall asleep in a boat or whatever it was. He was human. I just find it beautiful. But in this passage, he has just finished crossing the sea and he had been talking to his followers about, don't they understand? He had just fed the 5,000. He had just fed the 4,000. And they were concerned that they might not have enough bread to eat. And he's like, don't you see? He says, don't you perceive or understand? And it's basically, I can provide for you. And then when they get to the other side and they land on the coast, who do they see? The passage says, some people brought to Jesus a blind man. And they begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and he led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked, do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see people, but, but they look like trees walking. And then Jesus laid his hands on him again, on his eyes, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. What just happened? What just happened? I remember reading a book by Rankin Wilborn called Union with Christ. And he was like, did like 
Jesus lose some power or something? That it was like, did he need a do-over with this healing? Was he just off his game that day, you know? Like, why did he have to touch him twice? Like, touch him, healed, we're done. Why was there this touch him? And then he could see, like, people look like trees. And then he touched him again and he could see perfectly clear. What, what is this? Maybe, and I think this is the case. Jesus was not off his game. Maybe Jesus didn't run out of power and he didn't. But maybe this was meant to be a living parable. A living story that there are times that you can see and yet not fully see. It reminds me of one of my favorite stories in 2 Kings 6. Story of Elisha. I mean, this, I, this, I just wish I could be there. This so amazing. The servant of Elisha, it says in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 17, he rose early in the morning and he saw that the city was surrounded with the enemies of God. And he just started freaking out. And because it appeared as if their demise was imminent. And Elisha was there and it was almost like, why are you anxious? Like, don't be afraid. And Elisha said to the servant, he says, don't be afraid. And then he prayed, oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. And here's what the text says. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. <laughs> it's just like all he could see were the enemies, but Elisha could see who was really going to fight this battle. And it's just, we need to be reminded that God is at work even when we can't see with our physical eyes. And we just need this prayer, that prayer of Elisha, oh Lord, open our eyes that we might see Jesus when we gather. Open our eyes that we might see him as the primary worship leader. Open our eyes that we might see him supernaturally as we care for the kids. Open our eyes that we might believe that as we read the scripture, his powerful hand is running through the word as it is proclaimed. Open our eyes that as we seek to preserve the purity of the church, maybe even through church discipline, that he is there with us. Open our eyes that when we are meeting the needs of the poor and the downcast and the underserved, we are, we are touching and caring for him. Open our eyes that we might see him there. It's like, Father, open our eyes that as we use our gifts to serve one another, that we might see the grace of God at work. And as we encourage other people and we hear them encouraging people through the scriptures, that we hear the words of Jesus encouraging us. And when people share their story, they share their story of their journey of faith, that we might believe that Jesus is there, meaning to encourage us, help us, build us up as we gather together. Friends, there are so many times I get a text, I get an email from people within the church and they tell me they are praying for me or they are thankful for me or something that was said or done was a blessing to them. And I can't tell you how encouraging that is. I love being at church and just hearing of people's faith, stories, even of people's struggle, but how they're still clinging to Jesus. And I do believe with all my heart that on the last day, there will be a clarity of mind and a clarity of sight that Jesus will show that there was a direct line 
between my faith persevering and that woman's story of her faith continuing through suffering. That man sharing a scripture of encouragement. That teenager sharing about how they were struggling at school and yet they prayed and asked Jesus to help them. That person's endurance, that woman's prayers, that encouraging word. I believe that on that last day, there will be a direct line that Jesus says, and your faith was about to wobble, and I give you this, and you were able to go. That that story was the means of me keeping you in the faith. He has designed that the church is the means to encourage us and to keep us going to the end. Have you ever wanted to quit? Maybe not quit the faith, but just quit something. Have you? I, I asked my son that, and he's like, you know, when you ever, whenever somebody asks you that question, just like your mind kind of blanks and you don't really even know. But I just thought, like, have you ever wanted to just quit school? <laughs> my ten-year-old, have you ever wanted to quit school? Of course. It's like, no, I don't want to do math. No, I don't want to read this. No, I don't want to write that paper. But what would happen if at 10 years old, we just totally quit school? There would be massive ramifications for us. It would lessen our joy. There would be massive regret. And we don't need to quit. We don't need to quit. Pressing into Jesus and finding rest in him and his word and in prayer. We don't need to quit gathering with God's people. And more importantly, the means of us not giving up, the means of Jesus keeping us, is through his word, is through his prayer, but it's also through his people. Many times I think we can say, yes, I want Jesus when we gather, but it's the people of God that frustrate me the most. I understand. You know why? It's because we're imperfect. We're we are messy people, and I don't understand why God chose this beautiful yet mysteriously messy plan of he is going to grow us through the gathering of imperfect people. But most of the time, our frustration probably rises. It rises because they are imperfect, but I don't know if we've ever thought about it. We've ever thought that we expect perfection from others because maybe deep down, we expect perfection from ourselves. We relate to God based on transaction. If I'm good, I deserve it. If I don't do the bad thing, I get his acceptance. But you know what it's like when you sin and you feel that guilt and that shame. And sometimes you feel the only way to handle that guilt and shame is to do better next time or to compare yourself to somebody else. I, can, I know from my own heart, I can get more frustrated with people when I am feeling guilty or when I am anxious. Jesus wants to carry our shame and carry our guilt. The way out of shame and guilt is not doing better. The way out of shame and guilt is to acknowledge that Jesus carried it all to the cross. It was paid for and that he accepts us through faith not through performance. Imperfect people are God's plan to show the world the love of Christ. It's his plan to make you and me more like Christ. And wouldn't it be an amazing place 
If when somebody is imperfect in front of us, we don't look down it in self-righteousness because we are so aware that any grace we have at all is owe any goodness or strength we have at all, any betterment than anybody else is all owing to the grace of Jesus. So there's no reason to look down upon another. Instead, we can be the strength and the support, the help, the safe place for vulnerability when others are weak because we all are weak. Jesus has designed the church to be imperfect together so that we will be interdependent. I need your strengths in my weakness. Togetherness is essential in the church. Together, I see your struggle, and it helps me struggle through my faith. Together, I hear your prayers of thanksgiving, and it helps me not take things for granted, but to praise Jesus for them. Together, I hear your prayers in pain, and it shows me a blueprint for healing and pain. Together, if I'm overly serious, I learn how to laugh and have fun. Or if I'm overly silly, I learn how to bow my heart in reverence to Jesus. Together, I'm so encouraged when I hear the people of God sing. Together, when I see your loss and I'm able to listen and learn empathy, many times with no lessons to teach, just to be there. I'm able to take my pain to comfort you, but I'm also being prepared by Jesus to face my own losses together. Sweet woman in my community group this week, I know she's going through suffering and she just shared a story of how she was walking with her little girl through the Bible and it so encouraged me in community group. Just so encouraged my heart. Like when you're struggling, you could be tempted to want to give up. And instead, what you're doing is you're clinging to Jesus and you're teaching your daughter the beauties of Christ. I know that's an encouragement to her daughter and to her husband, but I want to know it's an encouragement to me. We gather to treasure Christ together because the church by its nature is a together people. We need each other and we need to know this. Not only must we be together to be the church, but when we are together, we uniquely experience the power and the love and the healing and the presence and the grace of Jesus. He is with us when we gather. So church, I encourage you, let's gather together to treasure Christ. Let's pray. Father, I ask that we would not neglect the gathering together because I want each and every person in Treasuring Christ Church to experience a depth and a richness and a beauty of Jesus that your word tells us can only be reached when we gather with your people. Imperfect as we are, Father, I just ask that we would be more aware of grace than we are of others' imperfections. Father, please, I pray that you would help us to gather regularly, to treasure Christ together, so that as we receive your love, we would then be scattered to give your love away and to live sent. Help us, Father, I pray, to experience you in power when we gather. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you have an amazing week, church. It's great to be with you, and I really do pray we are able to gather together next week, 1030, Sunday morning, Southeast Raleigh High School. Grace to you.